You're listening to the Woman of Value podcast. You are about to hear the story of a woman who is following her dreams and passions and creating positive change in the world. But I got an email saying, ah, the marketing department doesn't think you have a strong enough platform to sell books. So first they rejected my book idea, and now they completely rejected me. And it took a little while, but uh, eventually, and part of this was my husband at the time kept saying, you can self-publish. And I kept thinking, I can't self-publish. Like, and this is 2010, 2011, um, self-publishing had a really strong stigma at the time. Uh, and I just kept thinking, I need to be chosen. I need a book deal. You know, like it's not going to be real if I don't have a book deal. My guest today is Julie Broad. She's the founder of self-publishing services from book launchers and Amazon overall number one best-selling author. Her titles include More Than Cash Flow, The New Brand You, and her latest book, Self-Publish and Succeed. She's an expert on writing a book with marketing in mind, and she teaches authors how to write a no-boring-book hashtag on her popular YouTube channel, booklaunchers.tv. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thanks so much for having me, Sandy. You just caught my interest because I'm a self-published author, and I know how important it is to get your book out there. It's hard to get your book out there. And I, many years ago, I had an agent come to me and said, write a book. You'd be great because she had heard me somewhere. And I said, okay, what's a proposal? So she's like, oh, it's really easy. Just write this thing. And like 30 pages later, I'm in the weeds. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm trying to follow all the directions. And she keeps saying, no, you don't get it. You don't do it right. I need you to have more of a voice. And I'm like, I do have a voice. Like everybody writes about this topic in a different way. And this is my voice. And she'd be like, no, it has to be this. And it can't be that. Anyway, I, I was so frustrated. I abandoned that project. And then I came back to writing my own book. And I just said, you know what, just this book proposal thing. And then that was complicated. And then the marketing piece is really left to the to us anyway, even if you write a book. And so many people never publish because they get overwhelmed. So let's start with what does a woman of value mean to you? To me, it means you're serving others and adding value to others' lives, but but not at not at the sake of your own value. So I think there's there, you know, it can be a catch-22 for a lot of folks. I think you can add so much value to others' lives and forget about adding value to your own. So you know, for me, it's it's adding value, serving others, and making sure that I'm also owning my own value and taking care of myself. I love that because it is such an easy trap to fall into that we just give and give and give, especially women, we're taught to constantly give and don't worry about you, you know, give at the expense of yourself. And that's what true virtue is. But serving others and adding value is what gives people a sense of purpose. And taking care of yourself helps you to be there for everybody else. It's like, you can't do one without the other. Yeah, you burn, you'll burn out. And I'm sure many folks listening have burnt out. I know I certainly have. And, you know, it's, it's impossible to help anybody when you're burnt out. You know, for me, I can't get out of bed. So, you know, so that doesn't serve anybody. So that's why I say I really believe that you, you add values to add value to others lives, but not at the expense of, of your own values. So you do have to take care of yourself. And it's not selfish taking care of yourself, because ultimately allows you to serve others. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your journey to finding your value to 
learning about what your gift was because you're now helping all these people publish their books and doing all these great things. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure many folks can relate to the fact that it's not a straight line. Um, there's, you know, for me, when I thought of this question, there's really two pivotal moments. Um, and the first was in working for a job um, after I graduated from university and I kind of went into a career, uh, I kind of hit this point where I remember the moment where my boss, I'd worked really hard on this presentation to the board of directors and my boss at the time took me into the boardroom and slid this one page, which one page of like written words down across the table to me. And he said, okay, at the top, those are your objectives. And at the bottom, that's how you're going to achieve those objectives. And so he was setting me up for, and I oversaw a depart department in three different cities. And he was basically telling me, this is what you're going to achieve and here's how you're going to do it. And so I was completely responsible for the outcomes with no control over how I achieved them. And I, I just, in that moment, I thought, no, I, I can do better than this and I can do it on my own. I don't, I, I can run my business different. And I, I quit my job uh, in 2008 of all times and decided to go full-time as a real estate investor and start a real estate training and education company. And it was a huge, huge bet on myself. And it was in one of those kind of moments of, you know, that's where I really started to believe in myself. And it took a while. It wasn't instant. You know, I had doubts the whole time I was doing it, but as I built this successful training company and I started to raise, you know, ultimately millions of dollars because we started buying a house a month and renovating it and renting them out and keeping them. Uh, I started to say, you know what, I can do this. <laughs> you know, every time you take that one step, you know, I can do this and I can do it better than people are doing it right now. And I can help people in the process. Um, and so that was really the first big moment was when I left my job because I knew it just wasn't for me and I was getting stifled and I wasn't valued, you know, for him to take all my efforts, completely ignore it and slide one piece of paper across the table and tell me what to do. Uh, he didn't value me. So uh, that was the first one. And the second one was really a similar situation to what you've described around the book proposal thing. Um, in, in about 2010, uh, a couple of editors were introduced to me and they said, oh yeah, you know, you know, you've got a platform now because I had a YouTube channel in the real estate space. I, I had a newsletter, you know, I was starting to speak and they said, you know, you're interesting. Uh, you know, do you, we'd like to talk to you about a book. And I was like, great. You know, the little girl in me that always thought she'd be a writer popped out and she's like, okay, I've got book ideas. Let me tell you about them. And they said, no, no, like that. Both of them said, no, that, 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 that book's been done before. No general real estate book will sell. But Wiley said, you know, but we're interested in working with you and we have this book idea. So Wiley gave me a book idea and I went through this proposal process, also about 30 pages long, just so you know, uh, and, you know, it's guided through it by the, the, the acquisitions editor at Wiley. And at the end of three months, because we'd worked on this together, I assumed the book deal was the next thing, but I got an email saying, ah, oh, the marketing department doesn't think you have a strong enough platform to sell books. So first they rejected my book idea and now they completely rejected me. And it took a little while, but uh, eventually, and part of this was my husband at the time kept saying, you can self-publish. And I kept thinking, I can't self-publish. Like, and this is 2010, 2011, um, self-publishing had a really strong stigma at the time. Uh, and I just kept thinking, I need to be chosen. I need a book deal. You know, like it's not going to be real if I don't have a book deal, but I, 
it, there's a few things happened and I realized that I needed to write the book, not for myself, but for the people that I was going to help. And that that original book idea really did need to be written and the publishers didn't know. I knew I had read like 70 real estate investing books. I, I knew none of them covered what I was going to cover and what I was going to share. So I, I dove into it, you know, A, with the reader solely in mind. So it was all about, you know, helping the people that I knew really needed the, the, the guidance and advice that I was going to share. And I also decided to do it better than if Wiley had done it. <laughs> so I had a little bit of vengeance in there. And what <laughs> happened is I ended up taking it to number one on Amazon. So I had a Dan Brown, I had a Game of Thrones. I sold thousands and thousands of copies in a very short period of time. It was in top, top 100 books, print books on Amazon for 45 days. So, and that was again, where I, you know, really gained, <laughs> owned my value to do that in the first place and to market it as hard as I did to achieve that outcome. And so those were kind of the, the moments that I, whenever I doubt myself, I go back to those moments. I'm like, look what you've done. And those are wonderful moments. And I, I want to highlight some of the things that I'm hearing. The first one was the intuition where you sensed that you could not be in a place where you didn't have control over how you did what you needed to do. And um, so that's, I mean, I think a lot of entrepreneurs start with like, wow, I can't work under somebody who's, who I don't agree with and who I don't want to be with. And I, I, I have leadership qualities like that's I'm sensing to you, like you have this inner leader and then just starting on your own. It's not easy to start a business, but taking step after step and learning from, from failures or from, you know, whatever missteps happen not to get completely dejected from rejection. So you went through, you know, building a successful company and the rejection in the second scenario, you didn't let that define you. You actually used it to fuel the book that you wrote that was great and even better than the one you would have written. Yeah, it's true. And I always tell people now that anytime you're faced with these really tough situations, that's going to be a great chapter in your next book like that. You know, I think a lot of the things I've lived through have have happened so that I can be exactly where I am today. Um, it wasn't fun going through it at the time, but that's, you know, stories get their energy from the negative and there's no really great lessons in life that come from everything going well. <laughs> so I think they're always the greatest gifts, although they don't, you know, sometimes you think I don't want any more gifts, but <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm done with the gifts. <laughs> It's true. I think like even COVID was a perfect example of that. We had people who mm -hmm. fell apart and then people who pivoted and, you know, took a failed business and created an online business or finally wrote that book that they wanted to write. I'm sure you got a lot of people interested in self-publishing in the past year and a half. So tell us about that. Like, did, did you get a lot of interest because people finally had time and were sitting there like looking at the meaning of their lives and all kinds of things that happened during COVID? Yeah, I mean, I really think there was two different people that show up in, in COVID. There really was, we lost, we lost clients who suddenly panicked and said, you know, the world is ending and like, I'm not going to write this book anymore. I don't know where my income's going to come from. You know, there was certainly that, that group. So on the one side, it hurt because we lost, we lost a chunk of clients that were in progress on, on writing their books because they panicked. But then there's the other group that went, like, oh my goodness, what a tremendous opportunity. I have time. People are going to need this more than ever when we come out of this. 
and and they just they dug in and they wrote their books and and they're doing some of them are doing really really cool things now making more income we have one of our clients is doing ted global he's he's speaking ted global ideas um so you know like what a phenomenal thing to launch your book i think he launched right around covid coming like happening and now a year almost a little bit over a year later and he's on the ted global ideas stage so wow. you know like in phenomenal stuff and so those are the people that you look at and you go like wow way to go because they just looked at the situation and they went you know what i'm like this isn't stopping me i'm going to certainly you know people need me now more than ever and i'm going to serve them and i'm going to stand out and do what i can to help and you know get my message out there i love it I lo- and i love the unstoppable quality because so many people feel stoppable, (laughs) you know, they feel very like taken down and I can't. And it's that can do approach. I think that is leads to success in these kind of self-driven projects where, I mean, I, I got an opportunity to do my Ted talk when I was not a speaker. I did not have a career. (laughs) I had no experience at all, but I had a lot of passion and it came and fell in my lap scared the hell out of me and I did it anyway. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, it's like, I seize the opportunity where so many people come to me now and say, how do I get a TED talk? And I'm, I have no idea. Like it just fell on my lap, <laughs> but I mean, there are ways, I mean, there are ways to do all these things. So tell us a little bit about the present. Like, what are you doing now? How do you run your business? Like, what do you offer? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So, so book launchers was really created uh, not immediately after I launched that first book, but after that first book came out, what happened was a lot of authors who were traditionally published contacted me going like my book didn't go to number one. And I had Wiley behind me. I had, you know, random house behind me. So what, what's missing. And so I started helping them just because it was fun. And I also was coaching real estate investors who were buying some of these kind of gimmicky programs out there, you know, write a book in 90 days. And, you know, there's other programs out there and their books were not very good and they weren't getting results with them because they weren't very good. And I really started to see uh, a couple of, a couple of things. Like one thing was that traditionally published authors um, have a marketing plan before they ever get a book deal. Self-publishing authors write the book and then try to figure out how to sell it. And, you know, that's a huge gap and it creates a big problem for self-published authors because even if they've done a good job of writing a good book, they haven't set themselves up for sales success. Um, And then the other piece of it was, you know, really, really creating that quality book because one of the reasons my book did do so well and it's carried in bookstores uh, all over and, you know, really did everything a traditionally published book could is because I made it as good or even arguably better than a traditionally published book. And a lot of self-published authors kind of DIY it. And, and that's okay. I mean, if you're on a budget, you got to do what you can do and, you know, grow from there at the same time as if you want to be, if you want the same respect as a traditionally published author, you have to invest in that book. And, and I, I kind of saw a need for the guidance, like the handholding through the entire process, because very few people realized all the steps. And they also weren't thinking about marketing from day one. And you have to be to set your book up for success. So I kind of dreamed up this company of like, where would I want to work? Number one, like what company would I actually go and take a job at? I wanted to create that company. And then number two was how can I really serve this, this group of people and get them to marketing? Because a lot of people think writing the book is the hardest part, which you, you've been through it. So, you know, um, marketing is actually the hardest part of the entire process. Uh, if you want your book to sell, you have a lot of work to do on marketing. So I wanted a company that did everything from start to finish 
and supported people in the marketing side. So we have people who pitch you to bookstores and libraries and media and speaking engagements. We do B2B pitching because bulk sales are a dream come true for authors. So we do all of that. And because of that, our marketing team is able to guide our writing team and our editorial team to help create manuscripts that are more likely to succeed. And so, you know, in many ways, we're better than a traditionally published, a traditional publisher because traditional publishers look at the author to do the marketing and we're teaming up with the author um, and our authors keep all rights and royalties. So they still remain fully independent. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I see it on both ends. I see lots of people like my mom always dreamed of being a writer and it, it, I heard this my entire life, like I'm a writer, I'm a writer, I'm a writer, and then I wouldn't see anything published. And so she, and it was really interesting because this I think happens to a lot of people when she was married for the second time and her husband had Alzheimer's and she finally got out and started taking care of herself. She took a course in writing and on the way home from that course, she called me and she said, yeah, it was a great class. Um, I don't think I'll have time to do the homework. I said, oh, that's so interesting, mom. You're sa self-sabotaging and you haven't even gotten home yet. <laughs> like, it's like, I am not going to find time. I'm not going to make this hack. And it's a lot of it is fear. It's like, you know, what if I, what if I write it and nobody buys it? What if I, you know, what if it's terrible? What if I think I'm a writer and, and I'm not really a writer, but it's been a dream. So let's leave the dream in the dream cabinet and never take it out. And it is a risk. It's, it's vulnerable to get your book out there. I mean, I remember when mine was published, it's like, oh my God, it's like a baby. And then you're putting it out into the world and you hope people like it and buy it. And, but you can do market research and you can find out what sells in your market and do things that are intentional. And it, it was the same in the coaching world. Like when I got coaching certification, most of the people I graduated with did not go on to become successful coaches because they didn't learn marketing. They learned how to coach and that's great. But if nobody finds you and you don't know how to build a website, you don't know how to send out a newsletter and create a podcast and do all kinds of things to get yourself out there, you, no one's going to find you. No one's going to buy anything. So it is marketing is important in everything in life. It's important if you're dating, it's important to market yourself on online dating. It's like that, that's what we do. Yeah. And it's funny because a lot of people think the book is the thing that gets them where they want to go. And the book is the tool that you use <laughs> to get all these things that get you where you want to go. And a lot of people don't, don't really think about it, but it's interesting. If, if you don't mind, I'd love to talk about kind of what's happened with your mom and, and, and how people, if they're facing something different or facing something like that, how they can approach it. Cause I call them your monsters we all have monsters and I, I have two that are really, really big in my life, but I see four um, in our authors. There's kind of four different kinds of monsters. You know, there's the fear of judgment, which is one of my big ones. Like that's, that's a huge, huge one in my life. Um, a, and of course, imposter syndrome and imposter syndrome. I, I see with most authors, they, you know, they think that, oh, who am I to write this book? And when I wrote my book, it's kind of funny, that was a big one for me too, because at the time, I think I'd only done about 30 deals. I owned 14 properties when I was writing this book. And I, I was looking at people that had done 100 deals. And I was thinking, well, who, who am I to write? But I wasn't writing the book for those people that, were do, that had done 100 deals. I was writing the book for the person who'd done one or two and things were a mess. Um, or they hadn't done one yet and they were worried about whether they were gonna make the right choices. And so imposter syndrome hits us all. 
Uh, but you know, for me, those are my two big ones, fear of judgment and foster syndrome. But a lot of people have fear of success and fear of failure. Uh, and fear, and people laugh at fear of success. Like, why would you be afraid of success? But people who are busy, some of them are very terrified of getting busier and not having time for family, not, especially if their parents were never there for them. If their parents were successful, they can be afraid of that success. So those monsters are there. The trick for me and for a lot of people is to go back to that reader that you want to serve and really think about what's going to happen to that reader if, if you don't do your book. And this is especially applicable with nonfiction, because if you're writing nonfiction, you're, you're writing it to share a message, to share experience, to share expertise that's going to have an outcome for a reader. Even if it's a memoir, it's still, you know, you want to share the story to help someone through a specific situation or through a specific scenario. So go back to what's going to happen to that reader if you don't write this book. And, you know, you make friends with those monsters and you kind of go, look, like, come along for this journey, but, you know, be quiet because this has to get done so that I can help that reader. Um, and that often helps. Not always, but I find that, you know, stopping, you know, if you focus on being a bestseller, your ego is going to be in the driver's seat the whole time. If you focus on serving a reader and really trying to write the book that needs to be written for that reader, then it's easier to keep those monsters quiet. <laughs> It's really, that's great advice. I mean, these, these monsters show up everywhere. And I think that the, the four ones that you shared are so common. And if you think about in other areas of life, like for me, public speaking was such a challenge and it's the same, those same monsters show up and it's all about being internally focused. It's about being self-critical and it's all about you. And it's not about who you're serving. And so, like you said at the beginning, the, the woman of value, somebody who serves others, it's you're going to deprive people when you don't serve them. And um, mm -hmm. so I tell this to clients all the time in, in my field, it's when you're, you don't recognize your own value, when you don't show up fully, when you don't, you're not fully expressed, you are not serving the world in the biggest possible way. And so it is such an important thing to believe in yourself, to get out of your way and to focus on your contribution rather than keep it to yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. So um, what are some other ways that um, you've helped people to succeed? Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, there's it, a lot of it comes back to working with our clients and book launchers, but also my team. So, you know, I really try to set the people up that work with me uh, for success too. So again, it goes back to me creating a company where I would want to work. And so it, there's two pieces to that. One is I want to work with great people as our clients. So, you know, everybody goes through a selection process, even though we're not your publisher, you're, you're your own publisher, we're still going to select who we're going to work with because it's got to be a great experience to work with them and help them create a book, ultimately, that's going to have an impact because that gets my team excited. When we know that a book getting into a reader's hands means somebody's life is going to be better, that's pretty spectacular. So we all love that. And that's you know, part of the fun. We, every day in our, we have daily meetings, we celebrate those wins. Uh, we're like, who, you know, who, who got a, a podcast interview? Who's doing a live event? Who sold books? You know, all those kinds of things. We celebrate those every single day because that matters. But the other side of that is, you know, the lives that I'm impacting because they're part of my team. And so, you know, we talk a lot about self-care on our team because a lot of people can show up to work and burn themselves out. Um, you know, they don't think they can take breaks. And, you know, so we always encourage people, you know, if things are getting stressful, go for a walk. 
uh, make sure you're getting enough sleep, you know, get, get massages, go to the chiropractor, whatever it is, you know, we make it important that you're taking care of yourself. And then we also do, uh, we call it, they're called time studies. Every quarter, everybody has to go through after two weeks and mark off what they do every 15 minutes. And that might sound like something that is a little bit um, like oversight, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm managing their time, but really what we're doing is we get them to evaluate everything they're doing and they put a plus or a minus beside it uh, or nothing. And if it's a plus, that means it gives them energy. If there's nothing, that means it's neutral. And if it's a minus, it means it's taking away energy. And we change people's roles over time to create more pluses because I believe you can get a ton done in an eight hour day or even less if you're doing all things that are pluses. So I wanna change your role so that you love where you work, so you're energized, you're pumped that it's Monday and you can't wait to get at it. And if there's a whole bunch of minuses on your what your responsibilities are, you're not gonna be like that. So that changes people's lives because they, they're coming to work somewhere they want to work, which is so cool. Like it makes me feel so good that people love working at my company. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I love that because most companies don't pay attention. They What's interesting is I've seen in big companies where they'll take somebody who's really good, like an engineer, who's great at engineering, and then they'll make them into a manager without training them with managerial skills, but they're great at building things. And now they're dealing with stress all the time because it is not in alignment with who they are and it's draining. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a big proponent of, is it draining or is it adding, you know, is it adding to your life or is it draining you? And to go around life, like really tuning into that is so, so important. And that's, that's a big part of self-care. So you sound like an incredible leader and people are lucky to have you as their boss. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, if I had worked at companies like that, I don't know if I would have started my own business. (laughs) Well, that's my intent, truly. Like, again, I, you know, to attract great people and keep them, uh, you know, especially because we're a remote company, we were, we were remote before COVID hit. Um, and I want to attract, like, again, where somebody I like me, I would want somebody like me to work at this company. So I wanted to create that environment where I know that I can thrive. And again, it's where I don't tell somebody how they're going to do the job. Like it is up to them to figure out how they're going to do their job. They're getting, they're very supported. And that's a big thing is we create support systems around them so they can excel at their job, but it's not oversight. Um, they're, they're really given a lot of leeway into how they, they get to the outcomes that we've created. And we create a lot of the outcomes together. So it's not, you know, top down, here's what we're going to do. It's really, okay, you know, these are the challenges we're going to, we face as a company. How can we fix it? How can we move forward? And then we create the solutions together. And and so that, again, is somewhere I would want to (laughs) work. Exactly. That's great. I have a personal question to ask you and you can answer it or not, but you, uh, you mentioned earlier that your, um, your then husband, um, asked you to self-publish. Uh, so did, did, are you no longer with him? And oh, yeah, uh, we're still together. <laughs> oh, you are together. Okay. You said yeah. the then husband, I was like, not sure if like this, you know, whole thing, if something happened in your relationship, because <laughs> you were going through all this turmoil and change. Um, okay, good. <laughs> okay. I was just like, I had this little sticky, sticky question. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe I said it that way because when we initially started our real estate investing, we were boy, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. I kind of dragged him into it uh, uh, and got him to invest with me and start these companies. I kind of dragged him into everything. Um, and so <laughs> by the time that happened, he was now my husband. <laughs> okay, good. So does he, is he part of your company? 
No, uh, he's fully like, so the real estate we did all together, uh, but uh, I ended up part of what was prompted me to start book launchers was he got into acting and I didn't want to run the real estate training and education company without him. Um, he was a mortgage, commercial mortgage broker for a while. And so he came with the numbers mind and I, I did everything else around, you know, raising money, marketing your properties, finding the deals. I did a lot, all that piece, but the numbers is a really important component in getting your deals financed and handling insurance. And that was his world. And I didn't really want to hire somebody to fill his shoes. And so it was kind of one of those moments where I thought, no, it's time to start something new. So he got into acting and, and we've kept it very separate. Book Launchers is completely my baby, um, which is also kind of, it was scary at first, truthfully, because I had never done anything solely on my own. I'd always, I, I was the person who kind of pushed us into investing and pushed us into the education and training company, but I, I made him do it with me. <laughs> so I didn't do it on my own. So Book Launchers is the first thing I've created completely on my own. And, uh, and that's pretty cool too. Scary at first, but as the company has grown and I've seen what I can do, it, it's empowering. Every time you do something that's terrifying and then it goes well, you're like, wow, I can do so much more than I thought. <laughs> yeah, I, it is. I think that's how we build confidence and, and really own our worth by taking those mm -hmm. risks, by seeing what we can do, because it's so easy to focus on what we can't. That's where most people are. Um, okay, so Julie, let's talk about the future. What is your vision for the future? So it's funny, I, I, I never would have pictured five years ago that I would be living in the United States running book launchers. So I have a hard time with any kind of like futuristic questions uh, because I can't predict where I will take myself. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, right now I'm really focused on continuing to grow book launchers. Um, you know, I have a tremendous team. We're, we're hiring, you know, growing that team like crazy and, um, you know, working with a, just a phenomenal group of authors. So for the foreseeable future, I really am focused on just attracting more awesome people to my team and to our client base and serving more and more people to get their great books out there and, and have an impact. And you know, really what I'm focused on is how can we sell more books? You know, we, we create, we've got the how to create a great book down and we really want to just help people sell a lot more books. And so that's what we're, we're spending a lot of time and money and, and focus on that. So for the next couple of years, that's probably what I'll be doing uh, is focusing on building out that piece. It's interesting, like trying to predict the future can actually get in your way, but because you can miss some of the opportunities that come right before you because you're so focused on a goal. But on the other hand, it's important to have a vision and you wouldn't be where you are without a vision. So it's kind of that, that sweet spot of finding the, the, you know, the balance between both. Yeah, I don't mm. five-year plan. I think that's the big thing is I have a very clear vision as to like what I want my life to look like. And so I make decisions accordingly, you know, around what I want life to be like, you know, I want to be there for my son. That's critically important. I didn't want to ever open a store because I wanted to be locationally independent. Um, you know, I had parents who ran a motel and then they had a and b and they couldn't go anywhere there. They were tied to their businesses. So I knew that I didn't want that. Um, and so I've really clearly kind of built things around that at the same time as I do leave myself open to opportunity because you know, if you are open to it, life is tremendously full of opportunity, which is how I'm now living in the States, having an absolute blast. And I never could have predicted that. So, mm. so you're originally from Canada, I hear an accent. Yeah. 
Where yeah. are you from? <laughs> <laughs> I've lived all over. Again, I'm, I, I take the opportunities when they come. So I've lived in all like, six, seven different cities in Canada, but I grew up in Alberta and I call Vancouver Island home now. Oh, nice. And then where in the States do you live? Uh, we're in Los Angeles currently, but we're actually going to be moving. We're like joining the exodus out of California. <laughs> and we're moving to, to Las Vegas, Nevada. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as a person who's worked on Zoom for probably 10 years or however old Zoom is, I love being location independent. It's, I have a daughter in Israel who has three children and I'm able to go and work from there. And it's like yeah. to be able to move around and make your own hours and make it work for you and your family is an incredible freedom and a gift. All right, so are you ready for the lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so fill in the blank. I used to think I wasn't blank enough. I wasn't cool enough. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I was this big nerd, you know, and, and now nerd's an asset, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. What was the number one thing holding you back from becoming a woman of value? Uh, fear of judgment. I can relate to that one. <laughs> I kept me from speaking, kept me from writing. What is the best advice you can give to a woman who wants to become more empowered? Do the thing you're most afraid to do. <laughs> I love it. Uh, get out of that comfort zone. Uh, that's where all the good stuff happens. Absolutely. <laughs> what advice would you give to your younger self? This is a tough one because I like where I am now. And I think if I would do anything different, I might not end up here. But um, I would say don't do the MBA. I felt like I had to do an MBA. It was one of those things where I thought I had to do an MBA to be successful, to have the things I wanted to have. And in fact, you really just need to be the person that you are and really, you know, at your core and then do those things that you know you're meant to do. And then you'll have what you want to have. So um, I did an MBA for the wrong reasons. So I wouldn't necessarily do that again. But then again, it led to a lot of other things. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so interesting. My, my son has a friend who's going for her master's and she's spending so much money and time and money she doesn't have. She just found out she's two credits short of graduating and she thought she was there already. And so she needs another $1,300 and she's so depressed. And I, I said to my son, like, why does she want the master's? Does she even know why she wants it? She has a good job. She's being paid well. Like she, what, what doors is it going to open for her? And I think we often get trapped in that belief that one more degree and then I'll be successful. And it's, it's, I've seen so many people get stuck there, you know, I'll get certified in 10 other things and then people will take me seriously, but you got to take yourself seriously. That's really the key. Yep. What is something people get wrong about you, Julie? No, <laughs> I, I, this was a hard one and I still don't have a great answer for you. Um, <laughs> because I don't, I try not because of the fear of judgment. I really try not to pay too much attention to them uh, anymore <laughs> because, you know, if you pay too much attention, uh, you, you can get distracted by things. So I think people probably still get it wrong. Um, at first, they might underestimate me. <laughs> I'm very persistent. I'm very determined. And I think that, you know, I, when you first meet me, you may not see that because I'm very introverted, shy and quiet, but I will get the job done. <laughs> mm. You don't seem introverted and shy. <laughs> well, you, introverted you and shy. If you, 
if you meet things. me at an event, if you meet me in person, you will see, I'll be that person. If I don't know anybody, I'll be that person standing by the wall watching everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can relate to that one too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that a lot of people, people get the wrong idea when they first see people. It's very interesting. Um, and finally, Julie, how would you like to be remembered? as a woman of value. <laughs> I mean, truly, that is that is the answer. I mean, I really want to be remembered as somebody who helped others and, you know, really served others and made other people's lives better. Leave the world a better place. Mm, I love it. Leave the world a better place. Um, this has been a great conversation, Julie. I loved it. And I would love for you to share how people can find you. Yeah, I mean, the best the best place to kind of hang out is at booklaunchers.tv, the YouTube channel. That's I respond to all the comments, so I'm very active there. Um, if you're interested in learning how to write a book, uh, I've got a download, and you can also hit reply to that, and it'll get to me um, through one person, but it will get to me. So it's booklaunchers.com forward slash, forward slash number seven steps, and that gives you a guide on how to write, really how to write a book that is set up for marketing success. So it's a great little workbook. Um, and then that also gets you an email connection to us and you can just hit reply to that and address it to me and it will, it will get to me. Awesome. Well, thank you and keep on doing this great work out in the world. If you would like to step more fully into your value, grab a free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Becoming a Woman of Value on my website, thewomanofvalue.com. Just click the link at the top of the homepage. And if you haven't already done so, be sure to click the subscribe button in your listening app. And if there's something in this episode that inspired you, please share it with others. Because the more we share these inspirational stories, the more women of value we will have in this world. I'll see you next time.